Fanboy Nation. This is your pal Daffy Duck, and you're watching. You're watching. We're watching. You're watching Fanboy. 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 A fanboy, etc. Fanboy Nation. God, I assume Tom. <laughs> Today, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Shireen Annis, uh, with the movement that a lot of people have been hearing about, hashtag Oscar So White. Um, a lot's been going on with, with everything in this, uh, in this movement and what's going on with, uh, integration in Hollywood. Um, Shireen, how are you today? Or Shireen, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm good, thanks. That's okay. How are you? I'm, I'm great. You know, I hear, sorry, I hear Shireen, Shireen, and it's all spelled the same way. And then you get confused because it's like, who calls themselves what this time? <laughs> no, I understand. I get it all the time. So I'm so used to it. It's totally fine. <laughs> all right. Uh, all my questions are going to come from the perspective of why should we care? Um, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I know cancel culture is a big thing and people automatically assume because if you ask from a certain perspective that doesn't match theirs, boom, you're already on that side. But we want to, we want this to be understandable and tangible for people that either don't care or really want to know why they should care. So how's that work for you? Okay, no, I think that's a wonderful question. You know, I think that caring in this regard when it comes to inclusion and diversity, um, at the end of the day is a good business decision and it's also an innovative decision, right? It impacts people who care and who don't care, whether they participate in that caring or not. It is something that inevitably is going to have impact and influence in people's lives. Um, you can be a white person and not care about black or BIPOC inclusion. Um, but at the end of the day, it is going to impact you in some micro or macro way, whether that's financially, economically, um, or in, in LA, you could say through entertainment, right? So people do, do have to and should care about topics that are out of human rights issues like this, because at the end of the day, it impacts everybody. Okay. Well, let's flip that real quick because everyone always attacks white people on this. And, of course, yeah. um, you know, I'm going to ask this from the perspective of other ethno religious minorities. I know I saw a Pakistani flag next to you, next to your image, uh, on yep. your Instagram. So I'm going to assume that you're Pakistani and you didn't put the wrong flag by accident. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad's from Iran and my mom's from Lebanon. So I'm, you know, my family's from the Middle East. Yep. Um, you know, people will sit there, Oscar so white, Oscar so white, hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. And then we do, you know, and then we start doing the math. So for people like you from Central Asia and people like me from Western Asia, the Middle East, I can count three, four people. So Omar Sharif was nominated. Uh, what's it called? Terrence Malek was nominated. Rami Malek won. And then F. Murray Abraham won. So we have two people that won and four people total that were nominated. Um, and then uh, Danny Thomas had won a, a few Emmys. So that's really five. And then we'll see the list of black people who have won and go, well, they've won more than we have. So why should we care about them? You know, if they've won more than us and we're not getting recognized, you know, we're only playing terrorist number four, you know, in in this movie that doesn't have a line or it's Allahu Akbar. And then, you know, we have to blow (laughs) something up in every movie. So why should we care if we're not as represented when they have more representation than us? 
Look, I completely um, can understand that perspective being a Muslim woman in uh, the Western society and having a lot of ambition in the entrepreneurial world and also for movements like what I've created, Representation Counts. I've participated in Black Lives Matter. I've participated in conversation with All Lives Matter. And I do see, look, like even within races, there is racism, mm-hmm. right? And the thing right now why people like us should care about these conversations and participate and help leverage those black people is because at the end of the day, if we can't equally quantify or value black lives, it impacts us as people in betweeners, as we like to call it. Like people call us Oreos all the time. Like, you know what I mean? We're like brown and we're in between black and white. Um, in many ways, like if we can't value black lives that systemically have been oppressed and faced racial inequalities and who have like um, places in society in some countries, they even have like levels of shades, right? Where like white gets the most royal treatment and then blacks, they just are usually traditionally in servicing, right? Because they're considered housekeepers and stuff like that. Like at the end of the day, if we can't value life equally through that entire um, spectrum, we really are just going to be the ones who feel the negative impact of it. And I do understand there are a lot of people who say, okay, well, you know, there's a lot of conversation around um, black lives and black people. So where do brown people or all, all these uh, like Chinese, where does everybody else fit in and all of this? Um, I still think that that, you know, um, we do still kind of go on the tailcoats of black people having representation and it's just going to be a rotation of time because for the longest time, you know, Mohammed was known as like a terrorist, right? Like there's been all these other negative connotations that go with like brown people or whatever. But if we can kind of start eradicating the negativity around racism with black people, I think that eventually over time um other races will also start um having those equal values or, or being valued equally right like with me i'm an ethno religious minority from the middle east and i'm an ethno religious minority here in the united states because yeah. i'm not muslim i'm christian so in iran yeah. i'm already a minority you know yeah. and so here i'm an orthodox christian i'm not a protestant christian so again i'm a i'm a religious minority on top of it you know, because yeah. our Eastern Christianity and Western Christianity look worlds apart. You know, it's mm-hmm. almost like, uh, let's assume that you're Sunni. We're going to assume that. We're not going to say yeah. wh- which one. It doesn't matter. And then you're trying to say, you know, someone else goes, oh, I'm Muslim too. But then they end up being Alawi or they end up being Sufi. And so yeah. it's still in the family, but it's still on the other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, not the spectrum because people connotate that with something else. On the other end of the pendulum swing. Right. You know? Yeah. So, so there, there's that lumping in, but what do you say to the people? And again, I'm asking this from the perspective of the, why should we care that we'll sit mm-hmm. there and go, this is black versus white. We're all immigrants. We already got all this garbage in the old world. You know, why don't I just keep my head down and move along? This isn't my problem. It is their problem at the end of the day, right? Like, because today it might not be their problem. In the long term, it will be their problem, right? Because like the way how these things usually rotate is that these issues like always come back full fold in different ways, shapes or forms. So today, although we have a focus on black lives tomorrow, when we need that support, then black lives will support us because today, right now, we're supporting them. That's kind of the mentality I would use when approaching that that type of devil's advocate so to speak because like 
I get how people can feel right now that like there are a lot of people how like if they're not black, they're not getting the opportunities or they're not getting the access to um, what black people are right now because now they're being tokenized is kind of argued. Right. Um, and I can see that. And I do see that sometimes like a lot of organizations, what they'll try to do or corporations is they'll try to remedy their their history of racism with tokenizing a couple people and then other corporations start using the same. So right now we're seeing that the black lives are getting that tokenization in many ways. Right. And so authentic representation is lacking um, because they're doing that representation for all the wrong reasons just to turn a profit. Um, but at the end of the day, like if we as a collective of anyone of color can come together and say, you know what, we're going to stand up for whoever is getting a platform, Um, and we're going to stand by what they're doing to kind of better opportunities for all of us as a collective. At the end of the day, it really is not an us versus anyone. It becomes just an us versus better opportunities in the future, right? Um, you start take, you start humanizing everything a lot more in viewing things that way. I like that you brought up how people are being opportunistic with that. Uh, I'm going to pick on Coca-Cola for a second. Yeah. And the reason why I'm going to pick on Coca-Cola is because a couple of years ago, I, I called them out on this, actually. Um, yeah. they, they did an ad campaign, and it showed the various bottles of Coke throughout the years. And it's like, you know, when, the, when this happened, when that happened. And it was during February, during, during Black History Month, and they did this. And I called them out. I said, wait a minute. When, you know, when you guys first came out, you refused to sell in black neighborhoods. That's yeah. why Pepsi went there first. So quit being revisionist his historians and saying you were there all along when Pepsi was the one that went to the black neighborhoods when you guys wouldn't. Yeah. So how often do you see that and that becoming an issue, uh, not just in film, but just in advertising as well? Because this is a big thing that you've been working on. Absolutely. This is something that happens all the time. Like as soon as the anti-racism movement started happening, I personally was making sure I was always there as an activist calling things out as they were because people lose the authenticity when it comes to trying to remedy a lot of these problems. They seem to believe that like, you know what, okay, let's just find the first black person and it's usually within their connections. And what ends up happening is that um, there's a lot of classism too, right? Like racism often ties with classism. It's just the way it's been structured. And so they'll just grab the first person who really is an and this isn't just black people, it can be anyone of color who's really just chasing accolades at the end of the day um, and is opportunist themselves. And the company is an opportunist trying to tokenize just anybody to try to reflect diversity for their brands. And at the end of the day, long term, they still will keep coming back to these issues of disingenuous um, reflections of inclusion. Um, so every single day I see this happening. It is something that I actively with my organization and the people on my team are constantly trying to get corporate corporations, institution, organizations um, to really recognize how to deal with these types of um, issues because you really have to have a very authentic perspective and and have the right team to make it more genuine when you're trying to approach diversity and inclusion because human life is not to be just tokenized. There's a lot of value. There's a lot of output you can get from inclusion, right? And so I, je- I definitely see this happen every single day. And in fact, this is one of the major things that we're often onboarded for to help kind of have our perspective on how to be a lot more authentically inclusive so there aren't any more long-term issues and that there's growth long-term. Okay. Uh, I'm going to pick on sides just for a second, left versus right okay. for a moment. 
Um, yeah. I, I prefer my racists to be overt instead of covert. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to hang the Confederate flag, which wasn't even the flag of the Confederacy outside yeah. your shop, I know, oh, I'm not welcome there. I'm going to go somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, I've also noticed from my personal experiences that I have received far more racism from the left than I have from the right in that they'd be offended on my behalf if someone told a joke, uh, you know, an ethnic joke that I found humorous or Mm -hmm. didn't know that this was my friend cracking this joke and wanted to take offense on my behalf. Uh, I've been told I wasn't dark enough to be who I am, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, assuming that I should have been from the Gulf States instead because they have this image that I'm supposed to look like, you know, a Saudi and I'm not Saudi yeah. and I'm not picking on the Saudis. I'm just using them as, no, I got it. <laughs> and I've gotten also a lot more from the left. Hey, you're one of those people back me up on this statement. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. so I, I prefer my racist to be overt and tell me, you know, and call me dune coon, sand monkey, desert rat, etc. You know, all these pejoratives to my face. Mm-hmm. Cause I respect them more as like, Hey, I disagree with you. You have your right to say what you want. And I also have the right not to associate with you. Then someone to buddy buddy up to me because of my ethnicity and go, I got one in my circle now. You know, yeah. what do you say to those people that prefer the image of inclusion? You know, it's like, oh, but they're so nice to me. Oh, but they care so much. You know, and those people over there are the racist. But then you have the undertone of using all the right words. And please excuse the ringing in the background. It's okay. No, I completely agree with that. This honestly, you've like personally, it hits home for me because I see it all the time. I think that's why, you know, to get into a little bit of politics here, Trump is where he's at, right? Like that's why he's president today is because, um, it is so dangerous to like pretend that you care about diversity inclusion and just use buzzwords and use it for political gain, um, which I often see with the right versus left. Um, and to those people, I would say that like, you know, it's just so much more dangerous for them to be pushing these narratives that they care when behind closed doors and when the cameras are off, they don't, it impacts human life in such a profound way. Like if like I almost always try to compare it like to help people realize how much of an impact disingenuine concern has on people's lives, right? Like if you're a doctor and you're doing heart surgery on a patient who's basically terminal, you're going to have less of a impact on someone who dies on that table than someone you have impact on like having these falsehoods of politics because now people have to live in a depressed lifestyle in a very like disingenuous way like that is worse for humans to be facing that than it is to just die on a surgery table if that makes any sense at all right like that is you're not solving any problems you're in fact creating a lot more problems and creating disillusions by pretending like you care about um human issues and i think that you know they need to have more of a reality check and be more authentic with their inclusion do you think it's because we've compartmentalized everything and tried to put everybody in a box? Yeah. And then when we hear something we disagree with, we have to shut them up rather than let them talk because I prefer to let somebody talk and either hear their perspective and try to find out where they went from rather than stifle them and say, you can't talk because of that. We're having this opposite reaction and more people willing to be racist and open about their racism than they were before, or at least for a yeah. little while. 
No, of course. I think, you know what, this is all good politics at the end of the day, right? Like voices are the most powerful force that we have. Um, and so in order to shut down voices, you segregate and divide, right? And I think that um, when we talk in the context of politics, um, that's kind of the their strategy is that like we're going to compartmentalize and also over label things and create issues where they really aren't issues or exaggerate things when they really don't need to be exaggerated so that now you have a difference to battle against. And I think um, that is usually a strategy used to shut voices down um, because voices are so incredibly powerful. And that is all usually done to dehumanize people right at the end of the day and to just attach a number. It's why, you know, when it comes to statistics you should really never just believe raw statistics there's always stories behind it because this compartmentalization of human life and then adding a statistic to kind of represent that um usually at the end of the day is more harmful than it will ever solve any any type of problem um let let's play this up a little bit because we we deal with the compartmentalization so much um i'm going to i'm going to play it this way uh uh, were you born in the United States, if you don't mind me asking? So I'm Canadian, born and okay. raised. <laughs> okay. So yeah, but Canadian. I went to school in the U.S. Yeah. Okay. So you're our neighbor to the north. Um, yeah. When it comes to compartmentalization here in North America, like let's use the term Asian, for example. When someone says yeah. Asian, instantly you think uh, India East, you know, yeah. uh, Pakistanis, Indians, and people from Bangladesh finally got their Asian card back. Yeah. You know, and now when they say Asian, Southern Asian is you guys, East Asian is them. Uh, but let's, let's put me in the role. So I'm Asian, but I'm not allowed to use the term Asian because I don't look a specific way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an ethnic Assyrian, so I'm a Semite, but I can't use the term Semite because I'm not Jewish. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm from the Middle East, but I'm not an Arab either, you know, and I'm not Muslim, which is the automatic assumption. I'm Christian. So where do I fit? Yeah. Uh, we can't compartmentalize that. I'm all these things. I'm an Asian Semite from, from the Western part of the continent that's fair skinned and a religious minority over there. So like, yeah. you know, people are like, Oh, you have to fit in this box, but I don't fit in any of them. Yeah. You know, that's why I think it's getting very interesting now. Like we're really starting to move more towards like, despite all this labeling and compartmentalization of everything, I think people are beginning to wake up and realize that that's doing more harm than it is good. And I think with a lot more autonomy given to people as individuals, I mean, you're seeing a a demise of democracy as we know it really. Um, And with people having a lot more autonomy as individuals, you're seeing that people are beginning to just operate and like, shy away from labels in many ways at an individual level. Like when you go and have these conversations one-on-one with people, everyone is pretty much against labels, right? They're like, no, I'm just like a global citizen. Um, doesn't matter where you were born. Doesn't matter what you look like. At the end of the day, we're all just human. You know, like we're, we're very much a part of the same global community. That's, I think, I mean, with me being 28 years old, our generation seems to think that way and the younger ones too, right? Mm-hmm. So we're really seeing this evolution of detaching ourselves from those types of labels and accepting a lot more responsibility for our own individual identities as a collective, if that makes sense, right? Like we're beginning to realize that at the end of the day, borders are becoming more meaningless. And so personal identity is more global versus regional, like we've traditionally compartmentalized. So I think that you like, it has been that way for so long, but we're, we're starting to like shift away from that. Um, with, with you being an activist and the founder of representation counts, mm-hmm. um, 
And you're and you're saying we want to move away from from the idea of nationalism, patriotism, borders, etc., and we want to yeah. just be you know humans and individuals. Um, how does that play into the idea of um, since you since you also work with the gender equality and and gender understanding? Um, yeah. we've heard that now they're claiming there's 67 plus genders and having yeah. to worry about everybody's pronoun, uh, trying to yeah. move away from, from one identity and compartmentalization and then having to go ask each individual person, what's your pronoun? What's this? What's this? What's this? How much more of a hindrance or a help does that become in just day to day activities? Like if I saw, yeah. if I saw you down the street or you're just walking down the street, I'm going to go, oh, there goes somebody else, or you just pa- pass by me. I don't want to think, does she go by she? Is to, you know, did yeah. she change her pronoun? Uh, is it the Zer thing, whatever else? You know, it's just, here comes another person. I assume it's female, whatever, and keep going. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. how do we, how does that work into it? Yeah, so I think right now what's happening is we're also seeing, like with representation counts, we create a safe space for people to just identify how they want to identify, right? And for them to explain their stories. So how that really works is, for me personally, what I do is I just assume at, like, I see people as just people and I never go in with expectations. Like, I I am always curious to understand where people come from, what they do and everything. But at the end of the day, I think people are just more aware and active of sharing their own stories and sharing with people, are they using pronouns, you know, um, how they identify gender wise or how they identify uh, demographically. Right. Like, I think at the end of the day, it still goes back to what I'm seeing and in the work that I'm doing um, and at the scale that I'm doing it's just that if you treat people indiscriminately just as like human life no color nothing which um actually is possible you can just view people as just a person right and then let that person fill in information for you voluntarily because people i think now with all the activism that's taken place feel a lot more comfortable sharing if they're trans sharing if they're gay sharing if they're um you know like half black half white um it really is something that people have taken the onus on themselves to voluntarily distribute that information about themselves and so really for me I I I personally find it sometimes super overwhelming because there are so many things and it's hard to keep up sometimes with these new like uh, identifiers that are coming out like you just said over 60 gender gender uh, pronouns and everything right or gender identifications Um, it is a lot to to catch to catch up with right like as just someone unless you're in academics for that so really I think um, Simplicity is always best. Um, and my simple way of dealing with that in our organization, simple way of dealing with that is just to like view people as just people and let them voluntarily distribute the information they want to about themselves. You know, cause sometimes I would get like the over inclusion pitch for uh, an email <laughs> yeah. and, um, you know, like it's for, it's for a movie. And I, and I've told people when, when they pitch this, cause I've been on panels. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to use this as an example, and this is not berating anyone by any means, but like course, I got, yeah. I got an email saying that the filmmaker was biracial, transgender, uh, identifying as whatever. It was like this list of like woke statements that needed to be mentioned. Yeah. And it was like two paragraphs long before they even told me that it was a movie. Yeah. And, and my only response to the PR person was, okay, that's nice. Is it good? 
Like, I get that. Yeah. You know, like you gave me this list of things that like is supposed to entice me that has nothing to do with the film. Yeah. And I'm like, what does that have to do with the movie itself? You know, tell me that after the movie pitch, by the way, you know, so-and-so's this, 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 and this, if you're interested. Yeah. No. So what does that play into it? Is it like over wokeness in, in a sense? I think that's tokenism, right? Like that's just business at the end of the day. I don't think that's over wokeness. I think that, you know, over wokeness would be a super hyper activist, like somebody who's just like knocking everywhere and calling people up for what they're doing. That I think is over woke. But with this, it's just token. like that approach for me. And I see it again all the time as well is just like business at the end of the day. Again, you're chasing profit. You're not chasing the story. You're not chasing the impact. You're not chasing passion at that point. Right. And I think that is what's dangerous to society because then that's when people start devaluing human life. And I think that's the wrong way of going about even trying to be woke. Right. Like, I think that just as you said earlier, like it should be the person's story. It should be what they're trying to achieve as impact, who's who they represent, like why they should even be engaging with someone like yourself in the first place and what that what type of benefit would bring for like people at large because then those people will eventually if you care about people profit naturally follows right Mm -hmm. so I think that yeah no my my thing about that is just like I think it's the wrong way about of going about things like that right now you're Canadian showing with the about (laughs) yeah (laughs) I even Um, say a sometimes so (laughs) It's all right. I'm just teasing a little bit. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta have a little light, lightheartedness in this, especially of since, course. you know, all the questions I'm taking are from the perspective of, of the people that either don't care, don't want to care, or don't know why they should care. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, with representation counts, what was the catalyst? I mean, obviously you cared from the beginning because, you know, yeah. your parents are immigrants to Canada, or at least your grandparents were. Um, you're an ethno religious minority over there. You saw how, People were being treated of different backgrounds, but obviously that has to have some sort of influence. But what was the catalyst that says, that's it. I'm, I'm getting on the, on the train and, and being a part of a movement. Okay. So for me, it's a very funny, like a long story. I'll try to keep it super brief. Like for me, like I've always been an activist and an entrepreneur or entrepreneurially spirited. You can say I'm no billionaire or like exited multi-millions or anything like that. Entrepreneurially spirited. And I was always, always, always calling things out. Like I'm sure you heard in America, the We charity scandal, right? Like I was always calling that out and I was always standing up for human rights and always getting in trouble for it, to be honest, like from getting kicked out of school to like a lot of other things. Like I really, have been very passionate about it and never earned a dime before. Always found it really hard to like pick myself up afterwards. And like any type of for-profit business I've ever had has always been embedded in values of inclusion, diversity, and human rights at the end of the day, right? So for me, it was just like, seeing so many people that I cared about friends, family, or like even, you know, topics like in Syria, whatever, Pakistan, all this oppression that kind of happens and realizing that it's systemic and something that can be changed with just activists and people holding the system accountable to change those things for me was a huge realization that, you know, like my voice does have impact because I would always see change happening. Like if I called in the city of Toronto, um, some issues and it was rectified because of me, but I wasn't given credit, right? Like I realized that I have a lot of impact here. Um, I just need to begin earning money, but like also using that money and directing it in ways that will actually impact people's lives, like having 
a full circle of life, if you will. And I've been fascinated by people's stories too. So for me, that has been the catalyst. And then obviously the recent um, movement with anti-racism and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, um, all that stuff has just really catapulted me more and more forward to kind of have this representation in all forms of life. Okay. And now, you know, white people always get picked on. So I'm going to pick on us because okay. it's, it's easier, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, our, let's take a look at our immigrant parents, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. they see something like what happened to George Floyd, for example. Mm-hmm. And they remember what it was like living in a third world country or what was forced to become a third world country yeah. and look at it and go, that's the worst of it. That's what they're complaining about here. When I was in the old world, it was X, Y, Z, you know, da, 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 you know, and like they're numb to it. How, how with our immigrant parents that have become so numb to having grown up with violence and injustice sit there and want to care about somebody else's thing when they don't see it as an injustice and they're like, well, there's more freedom here. So, you know, I don't see what they're complaining about. Yeah, no, I see exactly what you're saying. Like, I know when I went back to Pakistan, I stood right on the ground where Benazir Bhutto was assassinated recently. And I remember I at that moment had realized I was like, how can people care about issues in the Western world when things are so bad there? Right. And honestly, my mom, we had to really change her as kids. Right. Like we're all grown adults now. And it's about educating your parents along the way and making them realize that this country is not the same as the ones that they came from, right? In those countries, there is political instability. And so life there is very hard. But here, it doesn't have to be. Here in the Western world, we have systems, we have everything in place that have been intended to make life um, a lot more innovative, disruptive, and better. And I think it's up to the younger generation, aka their kids, to really educate them on these issues and why they're so important. And I know with us in our home, my mom has really gone full 360, right? Like she is now a protester with me because like she fully recognizes that like it's not the same country. The context is different and how important human life is. And that, you know, like with George Floyd and everything that we're in a system where he should have had the same opportunities as someone as like in, in Canada, at least like the prime minister, we could say, right. And the fact that the only reason he's not getting that access to opportunity is because of the color of their skin. I think that really impassions my mother. Um, and so I would just go about an approach like that, where like the younger generation, it's really up to us to start educating our parents who are immigrants on why these issues and topics are as hot as they are. Because, I mean, you know, a lot of people will sit there and, you know, like I said, the Im- uh, the immigrants will sit there and go, why should I care? I had it worse. You know, yeah. they're like, you know, this is paradise in comparison to what I what I had. So that's why it's yeah. always interesting to see what, what someone in your position would say. Because, like I said, white yeah. people get picked on all the time and neither it's one true, of us yeah. are, are white. So we can't sit there and speak on their behalf. And, it, yeah. and I see them getting dictated to a lot when it wasn't necessarily them that did it. So, you yeah, know, that sort of thing. No. Um, yeah. Let's touch on hashtag uh, Oscar so white for, for a moment. We, sure. we did that a, at the beginning and I picked on the four Middle Eastern people out of the 90 plus years of, of the Oscars being, uh, being a situation. Um, mm-hmm. What do you tell the people that are on that side that go, well, it was an industry that was created by Jewish, Italian and Irish people. So naturally you're going to go see, fairer skinned people in those movies. Um, 
And then for people like us, you know, Pakistan has a film industry. India has a film industry. Yeah. China has a film industry. Uh, Iran, Lebanon, Egypt, these all, these are all countries that have a film industry. If you care about representation of your people so much, your ancestors and your relatives, uh, you know, overseas are already making movies for you guys, starring you guys. Why should we do that mm-hmm. over here? I think, again, it goes back to the argument that our system is just so much more different here, right? We have progressed in society um, on human rights. Like there's rep- like our representation on the Western world compared to the other side in the UN is so different. And there's a reason behind that, right? Our structure, our system that's been set up has been set up in a way where equal opportunity is kind of a right, not just a privilege, right? Um, and so when that type of right is enshrined upon us, I think that you have every right to fight for that right. And so that's why like if they want to have that, like if Jewish Italian people started Hollywood here um, and so they're not naturally gravitating towards white, lighter skin, then, you know, if they want to keep it that way, they can go back to those countries and do that there because over there, there's a system that actually allows that. And I'm not agreeing with that system. I, in fact, oppose it very much. But I think that, you know, like here on this side of the world where like things have been set up differently, um, you kind of have to have the accountability and people are allowed to kind of grill you on that topic because it's just so much different here. The, the standards that are expected here are also different and they've profited off of it. So the least they can do is at least be open and welcoming to this type of conversation that you should be having or the demand that they should be having more diversity, inclusion and equality in Hollywood. I don't think we're wrong for demanding that either. And I think that if they don't like it, then they should go somewhere where it is the norm. Um, China has become a big issue in regards to entertainment because you know, the money from China is now more important than the American cinema dollars. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, uh, John, uh, Boyega was taken off the poster of Star Wars and replaced with BB-8 as the centerpiece. Um, yeah. or at least that's what one of the claims are. Um, mm-hmm. how could we care about inclusion here? If we're caring about foreign dollars over there in a nation that necessarily doesn't want to see black people on their posters or in their marketing. Um, I do know about China. That's a good question, actually. Like China does like to mimic the Western world a lot. And actually, I've been to China. I volunteered there and I've been to a lot of their regions. Um, and honestly, it, their government is just so different, right? And at the same time, the people, they actually are very accepting and open-minded. That's the thing, right? And those people, like in China, there's a lot of mobility coming out of China. And so I think at an individual level, they really are not very preferential when it comes to certain races. I think it's the government. Um, and so I have like so many Chinese friends, they love diversity from what I've seen and like even from being in China. Um, and so I still think that, you know, it is a tough topic. Um, and I think when it comes to that, um, I think that they're also, if like the, if Hollywood can still enforce the inclusion standards, China will follow, right? Like, and I know that's a very optimistic and ideal way of looking at it. It's just, I do know how, how business kind of operates in China and they do appreciate and kind of follow the westernization a lot more. Um, and so I think that if in Hollywood we can glamorize diversity, inclusion and equality more, then China would follow suit because that's kind of, their pattern of how they move things. Right. So I think that like, 
Hollywood should continue to fight for representation, um, not just locally, but abroad in their PR efforts and marketing efforts. Um, and I think that, you know, if eventually things are going to follow, that's just how evolution is done and how a revolution is made, right? Like, I think that they should just be firm with those inclusion standards and it'll naturally roll over. Um, let's pick on the NBA for a second because, you know, yeah. there was a white woman that told LeBron James to shut up and dribble and that caused a lot of problems. Yeah. And then a lot of people turned around and said, uh, but when China told them to shut up and dribble, the NBA decided to, to go forward with the season. Um, and when you, when you crunch the numbers and realize that there are 400 plus million NBA fans in China, uh, that's more than the population of the United States and Canada combined that just watch basketball. Um, yeah. You know, money plays a huge, huge factor into it. Um, when does, uh, actual human decency, uh, trump the idea of being financially secure or more secure? You know, I think temporarily people like, this is why a lot of companies become extremely careful with how they make decisions for diversity, inclusion, and equality when it comes to an international scale, right? And it's because temporarily they need to be prepared. Like any change, you're going to lose profits. The same thing happens when you innovate, right? And so I think it's getting comfortable with the idea that with change comes temporary changes in profits. But long term, when it comes to human decency, because of the culture we've created and this mindset that people now have that like diversity, inclusion, and equality is the standard, um, especially amongst like up and coming generations and people around my age group and everything, that is an expectation that most of us seem to hold, right? Um, I think it's something that, again, you're just going to have, I think people will respect companies as well that just come out and make those decisions for authentic reasons and explain to their consumers that, look, we're making these decisions. We recognize that there's going to be temporary loss in profit, but we're like putting human life or over our profits right now. Like we're prioritizing a billion people before a billion dollars, then people will respect that. And if anything, it would be better for business. But again, I think it's about how you approach all of that. And that's when having like the right consultants on your side would help you make that decision and that impact better. Okay. Uh, what about overdoing it in a sense, you know, for mm-hmm. inclusion, let's say for example, there's a movie, um, again, your ancestry is from Pakistan. The main yeah. character is Pakistani. Uh, yeah. We found the perfect actress for the role, but her family's from Bangladesh. Like, mm-hmm. can we use her? Or is it because what was once East Pakistan that became Bangladesh is not the same, yes. even though your grandparents were all, or great-grandparents were all Indian at one point before the, the three-way split yeah. with the countries? Yeah. Like, no, at what I... point does it become too much where it's no longer reasonable? Um, I think it usually, like for me personally, it would be, it becomes too much when you are just trying, like assimilation is a big problem, right? Like if you're trying to assimilate into like someone from Bangladesh without like recognizing that they're from Bangladesh to represent Pakistan, I think that's where you get that tension and friction. Um, I think um, it's when people actively try to assimilate people from their true identities into what they have molded to be what they believe is the representation of a country or of a group of people. That's where you start getting problems. But I, I do think that, you know, what, what I've seen is, you know, in the work that we do is that like, as long as there's this open dialogue and authenticity, again, um, people are a lot more forgiving. And in fact, it's always better, right? And it drives inclusion in many, many 
better ways. So I think that most of the problems, again, that do arise are when there's assimilation taking place from natural identities. But I'm saying like, you know, if it's the actress who who's from Bangladesh playing a yeah. Pakistani and, you know, and, and the lines are all in English, she's not trying to fake the accent or, or anything. Is that yeah. still acceptable at some point or people going to go, nope, she's not from, you know, the, the Kashmir border. So no, she can't be that character like, or, or anything of that sort, you know? Yeah. I don't think that like in this specific context, um, I don't think that, you know, Pakistan and Bangladesh have that much tension, but like at the same time, I, I don't see a problem with that. Right. Like I think here on this end, people would still rec- like, for example, with Mindy Kaling, right. The never have I ever show, which I absolutely love. And, you know, I'm Pakistani and my Indian friends absolutely love. And anybody else I've talked to about this, who is outside of my friend circle, um, they're very okay with how like the, the actor in that, show can also represent Pakistanis or Hassan Minhaj, right? Who is Muslim from India, but he also represents the Pakistani community perfectly well. Like we really are proud to see him on TV represent, right? Like I, I don't like, I don't really see that that's much of a problem. Right. Because I, I don't want it to get to the point of, you know, I understand the inclusion because obviously I want us to be included too and not being played terrorists the whole time. For sure. But I, I also don't want it to get to the point of, so narrow that like, oh, this is the perfect actor for this Persian role, but the, the character is from Persepolis, but unfortunately that guy's from Tehran, so we can't use him. You know, like, right. uh, you know, like to get to that specificity, uh, I'm saying the word wrong and I'm tongue tied right now, but <laughs> That's okay. you know, you know what, yeah. you know what I'm trying to say to get to that level yeah. of, of specifics would become too much in, in a sense. Uh, like, could we yeah. open it up a little more? Like, if an Afghani that, that spoke Farsi was, was playing a Persian Canadian or whatever, yeah. we can accept that a little more. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely think that's perfectly fine, right? I think when problems arise is when you have a white person trying, like an Aladdin, right? Like a white woman trying to represent someone from Iran or, or whatever, right? That's where the issue becomes. What, what I think you're saying, being too specific, it can be problematic because like nobody really cares to that deep of a level. And I think that people really care more so about the fact that if you recruit someone white to represent someone Chinese, that's where the problem is, right? Or if you recruit someone white to represent Afghani, then like that's where the problem is. But if you recruit recruit someone Afghani or like Bangladeshi to represent Pakistani, I don't think there's a problem there. I think that, you know, that's still representation at the end of the day and it's still active inclusion. Um, and I don't think you should be more like super, super laser focused on specificities um, because there's so, I don't think there's that many qualified people to hold roles down if you're going to be that level of specifics, right? And it's just going to really tarnish the value or the entertainment value of what you're trying to accomplish. Um, because from every single little region, like you're not going to find somebody specific as an actor to represent in Hollywood. And so I think it's perfectly fine to be a little more um, open-minded when it comes to recruitment in that specific regard. Right. Like you said, we're not having a, a Frenchman yeah. play, you know, uh, no. <laughs> you know, someone from, uh, from Uruguay or something. Exactly. Um, I, yeah. I get it. Yeah. yeah. No, cause I, I just want to, that to be clear to people because there are some people that will go so far as that level of specificity. I see. I can't say it. You said it. You're making me look bad. <laughs> <Specificity>. <laughs> it's okay. I'm, I'll say it as soon as we get off the, uh, off the conversation. Um, <laughs> But, but, you know, so at, at least there's that. I mean, you know, and we'll figure yeah. it out too when they start talking and we'll hear the accent. They're like, ah, they're really from wherever. But exactly. But, you know, it's, it's kind of like an insight thing for the rest of us. 
Of course. Yeah, no. And for like, I just I think it's something to be proud of if you have anything close to your representation. Right. Because I think people are very understanding that, you know, um, at the end of the day, like if you're in a hospital and you see a cardiologist instead of a cardiac surgeon um, and you're not getting surgery, you're going to be fine. Right. Like, I think, again, like same thing, like you don't have to be overly specific about something that like unless it's like a super, super specific storyline, which could be different. I don't know. But yeah, no, you don't have to be that super specific. Right. You know, I, I never got to the point if I ever needed surgery and go, what, the doctor is from where? No, I don't want him fighting exactly. somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. Although there are some people out in the world who do think like that, which I think, I mean, there are special people out there, but right. overall, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> They're the number one doctor in this field, in this state? Fantastic. Where are they from? Oh, no, we don't talk to those people. We don't want them to, yeah, to do the surgery. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, those people make me laugh and it, it's quite interesting to see when that happens. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, what is your ideal situation, you know, for the next five years that's realistic? You know, yeah. I mean, we can sit there and, you know, pontificate world peace and everybody get along and, you know, whatever, you know, everyone all inclusiveness, but. Yeah. We have to make incremental steps. So realistically in five years, where do you see us being in the progression of inclusion without fully stifling the people that would disagree with this? Yeah. So with inclusion, you know, I think that this is so multivariable, right? Because I think for inclusion, you need a lot of participating parts. A big thing is education. I think, you know, systemically education is going to be a lot different. Um, I think that, you know, there's going to be a lot more mandatory anti-racism and diversity training for students at a younger age so that we can start long term impacting this problem in a very positive way. Um, second, I think that, you know, you're, we're, we're shifting more towards a more authentic inclusion standard. And I mean, with Oscars coming out with their standards of representation and inclusion, I think it's a good start. And I think in five years, we'll begin seeing a shift from just all white something to having more diversity and an equal ratio of diversity or as close to equal as we can get given the circumstance. So instead of seeing like 7% black representation, we'll now see like, you know, 10% white, 10% black, 10% brown, whatever it is, right. It'll get a lot more closer to equality. Um, I think, you know, five years, it can be a very long, but also a very quick and short time. And um, I think politics influences a lot of how representation standards can actually be enforced and, and come out to play. I mean, it certainly doesn't help with the Trump administration, despite heightened awareness. Um, but I think it, it can stifle things. And, you know, like I think in five years, we'll, we'll have a lot more diversity at top executive levels because just now, even with tokenism, we're seeing change. And I think it's positive. And really, I think we're only going towards a positive direction. Um, but it's going to be on the shoulders of activists, educators, business people, um, all really participating together towards a greater vision of, of just equal representation for human rights. Um, picking on the Oscars, for example, yeah. um, it's not always a meritocracy. We'll, we'll be honest with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't see it being too much of a problem in the regard that they went for their version of inclusion, because, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see someone get the consolation Oscar, you know, we'll pick on Leonardo DiCaprio for, for, sure. you know, for a second, you know, he got it for the remnant. Well, yeah. Wolf of Wall Street was a far better performance and a far better movie the year before, but he didn't get it the year before. 
So I looked at that as the remnant Oscar and a lot of other critics said the same thing, not publicly, mm-hmm. but I don't care because I will, that it yeah. was a consolation Oscar. Like he should scratch off remnant and get a new plate that said Wolf of Wall Street on there. Um, right. You know, so that doesn't bother me. But what happens in everyday society where inclusion overtakes meritocracy for the sake of inclusion? Yeah. Tokenism um, takes over in the, for the same yeah. Um, you know, again, like tokenism is so tricky. Again, like I think so many great people have come out of tokenism. Priyanka Chopra is a great example. Um, but you know, I do think long term, especially in the entertainment industry with Oscars, I mean, it's still humans. We're not robots, right? And so to have lasting impact, it really fundamentally needs to change. Um, and I also think that, you know, like with how Oscars even went about setting the representation standards, I have a little bit of uh, a cynic in me coming out because like they, they basically had allies like the British media and the guild standards. And like, those aren't very inclusive to begin with. Like colonialism started in the UK. So you probably don't want to go to the UK for your advice on how to be more representative. <laughs> it's just to me, uh, the the best example of classism you can see. Right. And so um that is where I think like how the approach of not only just tokenizing people and using inclusion to enforce change in, in Hollywood or Oscar specifically, it, it's going to be pretty interesting to see in the next five years or even in the future because I don't think they're on the right track really and giving out things like to Leonardo DiCaprio as you had just mentioned earlier um that doesn't solve the problem at all right (laughs) it's like putting a band-aid over it or uh and it's just not going to solve the deep-rooted issues so I'm not I'm not really sure like to me personally it just seems like it it's going to be very complicated with how they're going to do it. And it's going to take them a long time because they're just not accepting the fact that they're going about it the wrong way. I love it. Shireen, thank mm-hmm. you so much for your time today. Uh, hopefully I got the, those questions out because I hear those, you know, questions, people yeah. posting, whether it's on social media or in private, mm-hmm. the ones that they're, they're trying to stifle their voices. And hopefully I got to ask their questions and now you gave them with your answers, a sense of better understanding of what we mm-hmm. can expect and hope for the future, at least in, in some regard, maybe 20%, 30% of, but let's, let's say incremental advancement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not going to, it's not going to come tomorrow, but uh, let's yeah. say incremental advancement. I'm glad that we were able to shine a light on this today. Sure. No, thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk with you. Yeah. Uh, Shireen Anis, thank you so much. Uh, where can we find you on social media? Remind people of your organization and your website and everything that we can all tie it together. Sure. So on Instagram, it's just uh, representation counts. Um, and then representationcounts.com is the website. Um, you can also visit my personal Instagram, Shreen Anise, Um, And I have a lot of content that ties into representation counts on there as well. Um, I'm more than happy to entertain DMs or, or in- emails or anything like that. Fantastic. Shreen Anise, it's been a pleasure. I can't wait till this thing lifts so we can actually go out and have a yep. cup of tea together and, you know, crack some jokes and, you know, be a little more lighthearted in our conversation than trying to uh, yeah. cure racism, tokenism, and nationalism all in uh, 45 minutes. Yeah, I look forward to that, too. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. Absolutely. Take care. All right. All right. Okay. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye.